Father, I thank you that we can sing and worship, that you have revealed yourself uh, to us through your word, through creation, through Christ himself, our, our strong God. Um, and we need a strong God because we look around and we see brokenness in the world and we see, see it in our lives. And so we need a God, a rock that we can cling to. Um, and we know that you, Lord Jesus, are the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone. We'll see that next week. But... Uh, that we can be built upon you and know that we are firm. And so we come to, to your word this morning. We come to that which is true. At its just core, it is true because it's from you. So it has to be. And so we, we know that you have revealed yourself through the scripture so that we may know you, so that we may know your heart, so that you may direct us. And so I pray your spirit would right now, as we and so many others gather together to hear from the scripture, to hear literally the breath of God, I just pray that we would be ready, that our hearts would receive what you have for us. I pray that your spirit and each individual heart, whatever is needed, would speak. Um, Lord, that you would help me in my just weakness to, to do what you have called me to do. And that, that despite the fact that Bill Fowler is, is sinful and broken, that you would still use your perfect word to build your church, Lord, that they would be equipped um, for every good work. We pray for our country. We want to consistently just pray for our country and for the world too, but just we see people broken. We see people that have lost their lives in fires and in, in tragedies uh, that have lost houses, and, and we, we just don't want to ignore that, Lord. We want to mourn with those who mourn. We want to weep with those who weep, and we want to, like the creation in Romans 8, groan uh, for the return of Christ, for the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the true Prince of peace. And so, Lord, help us to do that well and to see needs beyond ourselves and meet needs because that's what you have done for us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. We are in Luke 19. So if you have a Bible or a tablet or a whatever, Samsung, uh, you can open yours to that or you can grab one of the ones in front of you and open it up uh, to Luke chapter 19. Uh, the closer we get to the end of this book... Uh, the tension is just getting thicker and thicker. You ever walk into a room or a meeting or something and you just can tell like, whoa, I've walked into a fight, right? You go over to someone's house and you're all excited and you got like, you know, your little dessert and you can just see the anger and you're like, oh, I've been there before, right? Someone's coming over, you know, there's just that tension. And the further we get along in this book, the tension is just building, right? And we said that from the beginning that the idea behind this book is the theme is, is fall and rising, that Jesus is appointed for the fall and rising of many, depending on how you respond. And, and the further you get, the further that split gets apart, right? And, and to this point, Jesus has been moderately veiled on who he is. He's told his disciples, and he's done a lot of things, but he's been moderately veiled about who he is. But the closer he gets to the end, he's revealing more and revealing more, and we're going to see that next week. Um, so we're going to look at chapter 19 today, and the tension is kind of thick as we enter this chapter, and there's going to be kind of three short episodes. And in each episode, the common theme, they seem like, you know, kind of apart, but the common theme of each is they each make his opponents mad. I mean, just get madder and madder. Every, every one, they, they get mad, they get mad, they get mad. And you just kind of see it building up until literally he's a week away from the cross and they're going to kill him. Um, but despite, despite the, the, those who are on the falling side wanting to, to kill him, in these three episodes, what we're going to see today is something that Jesus wants to do for those who are his followers. 
You're either going to reject what he wants to do, or you're going to receive it. And that's the idea here. So we're going to just take a snapshot, these three different little short kind of stories. One's a parable, episodes in the life. And in each one, Jesus is teaching one thing that he wants to do in the life of his disciples. So let's kind of jump in. Some of them are familiar if you've been in the church for a long time. Um, But know this, we're a week out from the cross. So anything that's included in the Gospels at this point is significant. It's there. It's like, whoa, he's only got a week left. Time is short. So, so we, this is important. And Luke includes these in some of the other Gospels because they're, they're big things. So chapter 19, verse 1. And I kind of titled each kind of paragraph. You guys can, you know, title them yourself. This, the first one's called The Wee Little Man, right? All right. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named, they're kind of like the hated guys, right? So if they're the hated guys, and this is their boss, so what do you think they thought about him? He is the most hated guy in town, right? He, and, and we know from the stories that he is a wee little man. He's a short guy, right? He's tiny. Picture kind of Danny DeVito, right? A little bald, a little portly, um, you know, and he's, he's, because he's been made fun of his whole life, because he's short, he's got a Napoleonic complex, and so now he's got the power. I've got the power, right? He's got the power. Um, so th- he's, he's all powerful in that city. He's got all the money, and he's hated. And the irony is his name, Zacchaeus, means pure or clean, right? It's kind of, you know, and they would have known that. And that, it's one of those guys you're like, it doesn't fit the name. It's like tiny, he's like 6'8". It's like, eh, that don't work, all right? Zacchaeus, clean, pure. That's not him, verse 3. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. He has a desire to see Jesus, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short, right? So the idea, right, he's trying to get, he, he's, he's been blessed by God to be short. It's a gift. It is a gift from God to be short. And so he's gifted by God, and so he, he's trying to get through the crowd, and you can imagine all these people coming to see Jesus, and Jericho's a big city, and he's, he's trying to look over the shoulders, and he's trying to fight through, like, get away. He does not want to see you, right? And so, so he gets an idea, right? He gets an idea. He wants to see Jesus. He's going to be diligent in this. So verse 4, he runs ahead. He climbs up into a sycamore tree. It's not the same American sycamore. It's more similar to a live oak. And so he does two things that are very uncharacteristic of kind of official men in that culture. Number one, he runs. You do not run in that culture unless you're getting chased by a dog or something. You don't run. Number two, you don't climb trees. Because he's probably dressed real fancy. He's got his robes. He's the, you know, kind of official guy. So you got Danny DeVito in a tree in a suit hanging on a live oak tree, right? Kind of, that's the picture. It's kind of silly, but that's how... That's what he wants to do to, to get to see Jesus. Verse 5. And, he, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up. Now, you got to picture this crowd is in Jericho. He's, he's not, Jericho is not far from Jerusalem. And, and there's this huge crowd following, not only the 12, but just a lot of people. And Jesus is probably teaching and walking as they go. And people are following. And all of a sudden, he just stops. Right? And my sanctified imagination, which is probably closer to the original, I think, is he, he, he smiles and he looks up, and there's Danny in his suit, hanging around. And, and he, look what he says. He says, Zacchaeus, he knows his name. Isn't that what we see, that Jesus is constantly calling people by their name? How does he know his name? Because before the foundation of the world, his name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. He just didn't know it yet, right? And she says, Zacchaeus, 
Come on down, hurry down. I, I must, and you need to underline, circle that word in your Bible. It, it is necessary for me. I have to go to your house. You got room for 13, right? Me and my boys, we're gonna come over and eat. We, have, we are here to go to your house today. And can you imagine? No one wants to go to Zacchaeus' house except for other tax collectors. No one ever. Lonely place, but he hurries down and he received him, underline this word, joyfully. There is true joy in his heart. And this is the, this is the tension, right? This is the, this is the reason why they hate him. And so when they saw it, they all, underline that word, they all grumbled. Everyone is mad because he's going into the house of a sinner. They grumble. And what I've noticed, I made a note in my just a little star in my notes that what I've seen in the last 10 years is, you know who, no one grumbles like religious people. We have it, we've made it an art. We're good at it, right? Religious people are the best grumblers in the world. And sure enough, here they are. And you can imagine if they had social media in the day, the troll, like, hey, Jesus went to the worst guy in town and buying pictures and tweets of him sitting inside and stuff like that. They hated it, right? But that's, what, that's why he's there. Verse 8 and so Zacchaeus stood, and, and notice this is unsolicited. Jesus does not tell this guy like he told the rich guy last week we looked at, that you need to give away everything you have and give it to the poor. He does not tell him that that we know of. Zacchaeus just stands up and says to Jesus, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And, and if I've defrauded anyone, and the, the conditional statement there is a first class condition in the Greek, the, the, the understanding is if I've defrauded, oh, and I have. Oh, I have. Look at this house. If I have, then I will restore fourfold. Now, the law required 120% for them to restore. If they stole something from someone, you had to give it back with 20% interest. Zacchaeus goes, I'm not going 120. I'm going 400%. If I've stolen this much, I'm giving them four times as much. Right? Write in the, if you have your hard copy of your Bible, if you have a phone, you can't do this, sorry. Write the word repentance, because that's what this is. This, that's, this is what repentance looks like. It's a change. There's something new. Verse 9, and Jesus says, and again, don't miss the joy here. Because what? When one sinner repents, what did Jesus teach us in chapter 15? That heaven has a party. One sinner repents, the heaven has a party. More than 99 who don't need repentance. So in heaven, they're rejoicing, and Jesus probably stands and says, today, salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. Not only is he a Jewish man, but he is a child of faith. And then he says why he came. The son of man came to seek and save Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. Right? It's... It's why he's here. Zacchaeus was lost. Now he is found. And now he is a new man. He's changed. He's different. I mean, if you would have seen Zacchaeus five years earlier, you'd be like, that guy's got issues. And you see him now, and you run into him, you're like, whoa. You've been, some of you to the high school, college reunion, you go back 20 years later, and you're like, hey, what's your name? Oh, I'm, you know, so-and-so. Wait, you were the prom queen? Woo! History has not been good. Hard life, right? Right? And there's a, there's a difference, right? There's a change. The guy that was the, like you know, the coolest guy in the class, is not, he doesn't look the coolest guy anymore after 20 years. 
But there's a difference. If you ran into Zacchaeus before and after, there is a difference. That is what Jesus does. And if you would ask him, what happened? What happened to you? What made you different? I met Jesus. Pity changed my life. And, and here's the first thing this morning. And by the way, we don't know what happened to Zacchaeus from the Bible after this chapter. He kind of disappears from the Bible. But church history says that he went on to be the first bishop of Caesarea. He became a pastor. That's a change. Now, we don't, church history is what it is. We don't know if it's 100% sure, but it sure is nice to think about that. But here's the first thing, you guys, that, that Jesus wants to do for those who are on the rise, not the fall, is that he wants to forgive sinners and change lives. Jesus wants to change your life. And he forgives you, and then he changes you. And here's, here's why that's important. The myth of Christianity, and some of you bought in as this, is, oh, I become a Christian, and then I can do whatever I want, and whenever I fail, I can just go back to the bank of forgiveness, and, you know, Jesus, forgive me, Jesus, forgive me, until I just keep living my life doing whatever I want, because I know that I always have forgiveness. Does Jesus forgive you of your sins? Absolutely. Does that mean you are free now to just go do whatever you want, because I got forgiveness, man? It's the free, free credit card. That is not the heart of the gospel, right? Because may, should I continue to sin that grace would abound? May, may it never be. I'm supposed to have died to that is what Paul says. And what we see here is a guy who he meets Jesus. He is forgiven by Jesus. His life is changed. He has a new Lord. And so he's forgiven me, so I don't want to continue, keep sinning. Something is different. There's a change I have a new savior. I have a new God. His name is Jesus. I have a new authority. It's called scripture. I have a new power he's given me. It's called his spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. I, I have new desires. I don't want to do that anymore. I have a new nature, right? So I don't want to keep living the way I used to. I want to be like Christ. Not so that he'll love me. He already has. Not so he'll forgive me. He already has. But because he's made me new. That is the gospel, that's what, what, you know, the born again, John chapter three. It's, it's being made alive. And, and I think some of us, we have that kind of southern, yeah, just believe and do whatever I want. That's not the gospel. The gospel is belief. He forgives and then he changes you from the inside out. And each day you become more and more like Christ. And, but, but I think this is, part of our problem is we approach this with a negative view. Well, fine, I'm a Christian. Can't do anything fun anymore. Life stinks. That's, that is so far from this text. I, again, you can't miss the joy and the celebration in this text. Wait, we've talked about, we did a whole study in the book of Philippians that the point of the book was for your progress and your joy in the faith. That Jesus is actually for your joy. And he loves you so much that after you come to faith, he's not just going to let you stay put. He's going to change you. That's why I've told you before, the most miserable person in the world is the Christian who is in rebellion. Because they can't enjoy their sin and they can't enjoy their Savior. And they're just guilty over here and there's no joy and they're just miserable. Because that's not who they are anymore. So the idea is not, oh, can't live with my girlfriend anymore. I'm a Christian right? That's not, that's not the heart of it. The heart of it is God is actually for your future marriage, and he, kno and, and he knows that your joy in your marriage uh, is, is protected in covenant. The intimacy flourishes when there is covenant, not when there's just chaos. 
So it's not, oh, I can't do this anymore. No, it's God is for this, right? It's, oh, I can't go out and get drunk anymore. Christian, I just have to do it at my house, right? It's not that. It's Jesus knows that this, when the Spirit controls you, the result is joy. Not when something else. Not when you're out acting the fool at 2 a.m., thinking you're so cool, right? It's not that. It's not, oh, I guess I have to stop gossiping, slandering, lying. It's, no, there's no joy there. That brings destruction, and you are a new creation, and so your job is to build. I mean, it feels good for a moment to tear down, but how much more to use your, to your mouth to encourage, to pray? That's, that's what you were made for, right? That's what you're made it's not, oh, I have to stop looking at bad things on the internet and I got to get rid of the, can't go to the movies anymore. No, it's no. Is that God knows that those things, although for a moment bring joy, actually destroy intimacy in your marriage. Teenagers, teenage boys, that those things, the marriage that you long for one day, if you're getting involved with all this nasty stuff on the internet, it is actually right now destroying intimacy in your marriage and you're not even married. You're not even looking to get married, but it's actually doing that. And so Jesus is trying to guard you from that and guard your future marriage and guard your future spouse. It's not, it's not about, oh, I can't do anything fun anymore. It's, no, Jesus is for your joy. So I'll have to give all my money away and be poor, drive a 1986 Honda. <laughs> no, she knows that the 1986 at one point was new. Just like the 2017 in 20 years, you're, you're going to be handing that car off to your grandkids and they'll be like, Dad. He gave me a 2017 Honda. <laughs> right now it's hot. Then it, but that's the point. I have to forgive that person. I'm a Christian. Yeah, because God has forgiven you huge amounts of debt, and no one will ever offend you as much as you offended him. I have to love my enemy. Yeah, because you were an enemy of God, and he died for you. It, it's not this negative thing, and Christians need to stop seeing it as, oh, God just wants to make my life miserable for 70, 80 years, and then I get heaven. Does that sound like the Savior here? And that's the point, right? Jesus knows that it's not actually getting your way that'll bring you joy. It is giving your rights away. It's not actually get, building up my life. It's laying my life down. That is where joy is. And so he's trying to point us to that, right? But Jesus changes lives. It's what he wants to do. It's what he wants to do. Second thing, the second story is the men and their meanness, Right? I'm pulling the alliteration card today, right? Next, next point, verse 11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell them a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was appear, to appear immediately. So they're thinking, the kingdom's coming right now, and there's an aspect to the kingdom being there because Jesus is there, but there's a, he, they're actually, he's actually going to say, it's kind of not like what you think it is. And a little bit of it, but not really. And so he's going to tell them a parable to explain it, right? Verse 12. Oh, skip one. He said, a nobleman went to a far country to receive himself a kingdom and then return. And here's more of the idea. As Jesus left heaven, he comes to earth, he dies, he's resurrected, and he ascends back into heaven, and then he's going to come back one day to receive his kingdom. He, he's kind of alluding to that, even though they don't grasp it completely. But he says, he calls 10 of his servants, and he gave them 10 minas. A mina is, is a coin, basically. It's worth about three to four months' salary of a day laborer. So if your average blue-collar guy makes 50 grand, it's about 10 grand give or take. 
It's, it's not a ginormous amount of money, but it's not chump change either. You're not going to go spend it at jalapenos after church, right? So it's kind of in the middle. He says, engage, take, take my money, engage in business until I return. I'm going to get my kingdom, and I'm going to come back, and then you just do my business, and when I come back, I'll give you an, we'll give an account of the money I've given to you. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Very interesting. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the Pharisees who don't want him to rule. But here's the point, or one of the points. He's not asking if, he wants, if, if they want him. This is not an election. This is not a democracy, right? He is going to get his kingdom, and whether you like it or not, he is the king. You hear a lot about, well, you need to make Jesus the king of your life. He already is the king. It doesn't matter what you say or think. It's a matter of, are you going to put yourself under the king? That's the idea. So, so there's a group of people who obviously don't like him. But he then returns, having received the kingdom. So he went away, he received the kingdom, which makes him now what? A king. And he ordered the servants whom he had given money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. So it's time to give an account. So he brings the first one in. The first came in saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. Big, that's, that's huge, 1,000% return on his, on his investment. And he says, well done, good servant, fabulous, awesome job, because you've been faithful in a very little. Notice he calls 10, 15 grand, it's a little, just nothing. You shall be over 10 cities, right? Next one comes in. Lord Jermaine has made five, 500% gain, awesome. He said, You're, you get five cities, you get to be in charge of five cities, right? Then a third came in. Lord, here's your mina, which I kept laid in a handkerchief. He hides it under the mattress, right? Wraps it up, hides it. And why does he do that? He tells them, for I was afraid of you because you're a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. Notice how he views the king. This is not what the king is like, but this is his view of the king, which shows you that this is one of the guys that didn't want him to be the king. And Jesus says, I will condemn you with your own words. He's not agreeing with him. He's saying, okay, let's use your own argument. If if you thought that I was severe and harsh, right? If, if you knew that I was a severe man, taking what I didn't deposit and reaping and what I didn't sow, then why didn't you put my money in the bank? If you thought I was so mean and so harsh, then why didn't you do something instead of just hide it? And then at coming, I might have collected it with interest. I mean, if you just put it in the bank with compounding interest, compounding interest with a good rate of return, you could double your money in eight, nine years. You could at least have two minas. Right? But you did nothing. So he says, take the mina from him, give it to the one who has ten. And they're like, hey, he's already got ten. He's like, yes. To, to everyone who has, more is given. But to the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for those enemies of mine, those people that didn't want me to be king, bring them here and slaughter them. There's judgment. Right? There's judgment. Well, this is an encouraging parable for those who are listening. <laughs> and, and look, we could talk a lot about a lot of different things. There's a parallel text in Matthew. We could talk about stewardship and all these different things. But there's some, there, as I was kind of thinking about it, and we've dealt with some of these topics before, something that stood out to me it just kind of struck me, and, and this is the second point I want you to know, right? That at least it was encouraging me, is that Jesus wants to reward his followers, I mean, you could go to the negative, and Jesus is going to judge those, and we've gotten that, and we've seen that, but... but 
This is for his followers. Jesus wants to reward his followers. And I'm not talking about salvation, so please hear me. Right now, I am not saying that you earn your salvation. That is not what I am saying. What I am saying is that if you are a follower, one day you will stand before the King of Kings, not for your sin, but for your service, and he will evaluate and he will reward, and he wants that to go well, right? You're, he's, have you ever had that like teacher or coach that you thought, oh, I went one, one too many. I'm sorry. There we go. Oh, I got it. That teacher, coach, uh, boss, somebody that you just knew had it out for you. You just knew it. I had this high school baseball coach. His son played the same position of me and was a year older than me. Right? And so he was on the varsity when I was a sophomore. I was on, on the JV. And he, I felt like always he just reveled when I struck out because he felt like his son's job was safe. And he just always knew that he was kind of down on me, right? Didn't want me to do well. And I think some of us feel like that's, well, that must be Jesus. He's just waiting there with his pen. Oh, I saw that. Dozed off in church. Check. Right? Oh, so you went 56 and a 55. We'll get that one later. Yelled at his kids. And we have this idea that that's, that's who he is just waiting for us to mess up, which is the same view of the third servant. You're a severe man, mean, taking what's not yours, demanding things that are hard. But, but that's not the heart of the passage. That's not the heart of who Jesus is. He is the king, and he says, here's my stuff. I want you to use my stuff while I'm gone, and when I come back, tell me how you use my stuff. Right? I'm giving you... 10 grand. And he says, and when you're faithful with the 10 grand, think about the difference. He said, that's a little thing. That's just a smidge. Look at the reward. 10 grand, I use it well, 10 cities. You get to be the boss of like Georgia. I don't think we have a couple, you know, we got Atlanta, Macon, Augusta. How many cities we got? Right? I don't count Bloomingdale or Midway. They're not cities. My luck, I'll be over Midway in the, in the kingdom. You get Midway. Thank you. You get, the, you get the Christmas tree farm. That's about the only thing out there. Right? But the idea that if you're faithful with a little thing, just a smidge, you get, to, you get to be this in the kingdom. Does that sound like a God who's mean and angry and wanting you to fail? Or that he's saying, look, this is so much bigger than 10 grand. You know what's a little thing? I, I was thinking about, I'm trying to think, what is little things? Because everything to God is little, but you know what a little thing is? Your house is a little thing. You're like, well, maybe it's 3,500 square feet. It's a big house. Maybe so. But in, this, in the scheme of things, that, that's a little thing. And if you use your little house, or big house for that matter, for the kingdom, he says, there's something greater. If you're, if you're going to be the, the place where all the high school kids come, that's safe. Because we got a bunch of crazy crackhead parents out there that'll say, here, here's some beer. Let me have your keys. I'm being a good parent. And if that's you, please. But if you're the house that's going to all, host all the kids so that it's, it's a great place and it's a safe place for them to be, right? You using that for the kingdom. Or maybe you're, you're going to use your house to, uh, and your barbecue skills to build relationships with people, to care for people, right? To meet people. That's a little thing that, that could become a big thing. 
Your time is a little thing, but that you can give two, three hours to go encourage someone who's depressed or struggling or go visit them at the hospital or go pray for them when, they're, when something's going on. That's just a little thing, your time. Maybe you're going to coach that team which got a bunch of uh, kids that have no dads and you're going to be a father figure for them because they don't have a dad. That's a little thing that could be a huge thing in the kingdom, right? That you're going to take this, this little, these two lips, and I don't know how the whole speaking thing works, but your mouth is a little thing, that you're going to use this little thing to be an encourager and someone who prays and someone who uh, teaches and points to something greater instead of being one who tears down. That's a little thing that goes a long way. Man, how powerful is the tongue, does James say? It can tear down and burn or it can build up and bless. It's little, right? Or maybe, again, the immediate context is your finances and your resources. Maybe you don't have 10 grand or maybe you, don't, maybe you have 100, but that you take whatever that is and you put it in places that, it, that matters for the kingdom, right? So you're gonna, and, and it doesn't always have to be, quote, ministry. Maybe you're going to pay for, for that single mom, for, you know, you're gonna get the, the merry maids over there and clean that house so that she doesn't have to do it. Be a well-spent 180 bucks, or a babysitter for that young couple that, I mean, when you're a young couple, I, I, I remember. I don't, we have kids that babysit each other now, and we let the dog babysit, so we don't worry about that. But back in the day, you're like, I got to pay someone like 40 bucks to watch my three, four kids. And then, we, then we're stuck eating milkshakes at McDonald's. That's all we can eat because we pay the babysitter. It's like a $48 night. So maybe you're just going to say, hey, here's 50 bucks. Go out. Pay the babysitter. Whatever. See, it's just little investments, and I'm, these are just, there's a, this is a principle with a bazillion examples, y'all, and I can't give you them all. I can sit here all day long. You got to trust the Spirit of God, but the point is this. Where are you investing? And I'm not asking you to get it super busy. We're not looking for a bunch of people that are out seven nights a week, but we are saying that it's time to invest now so that in the future there's reward. Ten cities, 20 cities. And we're going to see at the end of the next chapter, he, a little old lady comes in with two cents and throws it in the offering. He says, that woman gave more than everyone else. Because there's a different way the kingdom works. And one day when you stand before Jesus, and you will, whether you say, oh, no, I don't want him as my king. No, no you'll stand before him regardless of what you, what you think. But that will be a joyful time if you've invested it well, won't it? It doesn't mean have to be something like, oh, man, this is like my LSATs. It's miserable. I gotta, you know. It's going to be like, Jesus, you gave me this, and then I did this. And you're, there's going to be things that happened that you had no clue. Like you gave money to the seed company so people get to work, and there's like five pastors that came out of this village over there in China where we're supporting them, and you brought all these teenagers over to your house, and you were praying for these kids in the nursery, and, and, and all these crazy things are going to happen that you had no clue because it's just God doing great things through your little investment. And he'll say, well done. God wants to reward his followers. He wants us to be good stewards. And that's, again, the slide, I had it in there just to remind us. That's the last S in our, our kind of our core values. Scripture, prayer, engage with the culture for the sake of the gospel, community, and stewardship. They were just stewards. It's his stuff. We use it for his name. And then he will come and we'll give an account. It's the exact parable that he just told, right? And so... Just look for opportunities. Pray for opportunities to invest, to invest in kingdom, all right? So Jesus wants to change us. Jesus wants to reward. And then one more thing. Uh, the last story is the king on his colt. And if I was going to be a Baptist, I would add it in a courtyard, but I don't want three Cs, right? 
or one, actually one's a K, isn't it? But it all sounds the same. It's so confusing. All right, king, cult, courtyard. Let's look at it real quick. I taught this two years ago on this passage. Verse 28, and when he said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, and he, when he drew near Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of, that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. And so you got this... Two of the disciples are kind of commissioned by Jesus. They go, commandeer a donkey, which is kind of a fun mission, right? And then they're like, okay, what happens if they catch us? Just tell them that the Lord has need. And he tells them exactly where this donkey is going to be. It's like, go into that village, make a left turn right, da, 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 and right there on the left, there will be this donkey, and go get it. And so those who were sent ahead found it just as he told them, and they were untying the colt. The owner said to them, why are you untying it? And they said, the Lord has need of it. Right? The Lord has need. So here's what's going on. Here's kind of a map real quick. Just, uh, they're in this little, they're right outside Bethany. They send him in to get the donkey. He's going to walk. This is a ma- very common road up into Jerusalem. It's about a mile and a half, right? Here's the Garden of Gethsemane. Here's the Mount of Olives. You're going to go through this little valley and go up in here. And it's very hilly. You can look online and see it. So it's not far. But he's about to go in here. And this is significant because this, this is a very messianic passage. And a couple of minor miracles have already happened. Number one, Jesus knows where the donkey is. He tells him where it's going to be. And they find it. That's a miracle. And number two, kind of a lesser known miracle is the fact that he rides on an unridden donkey, which usually when you ride on an animal that is not used to being ridden, it kicks. This one doesn't, right? And so they kind of a makeshift saddle. They, they brought it to Jesus. They throw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. So he's going up this mile, mile and a half path. And understand, this road is I-95 into Jerusalem, and it is packed at this time of year. It is almost Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so there is all these men and families going to Jerusalem because they were required to. And it's very joyful. They're singing the Ascent Psalms. It's kind of a celebratory time. But the road is packed. And Jesus is riding on this donkey, Right? And, and the backdrop of this is in, found in John 11, that Jesus just performed a pretty impressive miracle by raising Lazarus from the dead. And so everyone's talking about the fact that this guy was dead for four days, he's alive, and the guy that did it is the one that's riding on the donkey. And there is a lot of stir and noise and, and loud cheering going on, and they're putting their cloaks down. That's what you did for someone in authority or a king. Right? It's a, it's a big deal. Right? And in verse 37, and he was drawn near already on the way down the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, this is, we know this is Palm Sunday and we've kind of heard the stories, but it, it's kind of culturally far from us. There's this cultural gap. There's this generation gap. It's kind of like if I take my kids and I kind of go to YouTube and I say, check out this guy. In 1989, he was killing it. His name is Vanilla Ice. <laughs> All right, rolling in my 5.0. I mean, you know, and I show him. I said, "This was this was the the bomb back in '89." And and it's like, yeah, that's that's not neat. that's not impressive at all at all, right? There's a cultural gap there, right? There's a major cultural gap for us because we're not a first century Jew. But if you were a first century Jew who was oppressed by Rome and longing for a king and you knew what this king was supposed to do when he came and then you see him riding on a donkey riding into Jerusalem and they know their Old Testament. They know what Zechariah says 
Rejoice, O daughter of Zion. It's a prophecy written 400 years earlier. Your king is coming to you, righteous, having salvation, is he? Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Specific prophecy. He's not just on a donkey. He's on a donkey that's never been ridden before. He is, this is your Messiah. So they're putting two and two together. Miracles. They got Old Testament. They got prophecies. He's the son of David. And so what are they saying is, Hosanna. Blessed is the king, notice the language, the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest, which is exactly what the angels said in Luke chapter 2. Glory in the highest and peace on earth. So they are thinking Messiah, king, right? That's what's going on. But not everyone's thinking that. Some of the Pharisees said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Right? They are worshiping you. They are attributing godhood to you. Stop them. Stop them. And he answers. And you got to think, who speaks like this? He says, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Either he is completely arrogant, he has completely lost it, or he is the creator of the rocks. Because what he's saying is, my creation is aware of who I am, even if y'all aren't. That, That the lifeless dead rocks know their creator better than you guys. And so that doesn't make them super happy either. Uh, And then he draws near to the city, and I love this little portion that that seems to be like no one knows what's going on. Everyone's cheering, yeah, rah, rah, Jesus King, yeah. And he weeps, and the word for weep is like a loud weeping. He weeps over the city saying, Jerusalem, would that you have that you, even you, had known on this day, the day that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children with you, and they will not leave one stone upon another, because you did not know the time. And we'll get into this in a couple weeks, but he's talking about something that's going to happen 35, 40 years later when Rome comes in and literally tears the city apart. And he says, it's because you rejected the time. If you would have just received me now, we don't know what would have happened. Kingdom, right? But if you would have received me, it would have been a time of peace, but you're going to reject me, and so there's going to be judgment. And there was 70 AD, right? And then he enters the temple, and and the, the Jesus that we think about, you know, the sweet Jesus having a picnic with his disciples becomes the MMA Jesus. Um, and he goes in and he drives out, and you can read more about it in the other Gospels. And he says to them, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the idea is, you've got a couple things going on. People were using the courtyard of the temple as kind of a cut through, right, to get to the market, which is on the other side. So they're kind of like, we'll come to church later. We're going to the mall. You know, they're kind of like walking through. That was one thing they were doing. The other thing was, if you were coming to Jerusalem, which you were commanded to do as a, as a man, as a, Jew, as a Jewish man because of Passover, you might live 100, 200 miles away. And, and you're supposed to bring a sacrifice. And so with, it's like bringing your dog on vacation. What's easier? Take it to the vet, right? Well, instead of bringing a dog on the trip, bringing a lamb on the trip 200 miles, it's just easier to buy one when we get there. So they go up instead of, and so they go to the temple and they're like, we got great lambs. But they'd be all marked up. 200%, 150%. It's like when you go to Tybee and you need a gallon of milk. That'll be $15, please. You're like, what, $15? Yeah, there's no other place on the island except for the IGA, baby. Right? That's the idea. So they mark, because they know you ain't going to drive back to Publix or Walmart. They know you're not going to cross that bridge again. Right? 
It's just something evil in the hearts of man. I don't know. But that's the heart. So there's more. Or you come in and you're from a different village and you're from 200 miles away and, and oh, we don't take your money. But my cousin Phil, you see his little booth over there? He exchanges money. He exchanges your, so you go over to cousin Phil and he has a horrible exchange rate. And so you get ripped off there. And then you go buy a $15 gallon of milk and you get ripped off there. And they're just, this is what's going on. And you really have no options. Religion has become big business. And so Jesus quotes Isaiah, and listen to what he says. My house. Who talks like that? This is my house. He goes into his house and starts you know, flipping couches and, and, and throwing people out. My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. This place is supposed to be a place where people have access. Not just the Jewish people, by the way. All people have access to God. They can get their sins atoned for. They can, they can have access to me. And you have made it into a mall. Right? And so it's this, this grand picture of why he is there to, to take over what is rightfully his. Right? And then last verse. I love this. He was teaching daily in the temple. So, so here's the picture. He goes in to that which has been corrupted. He cleanses it. Kicks everybody out. Then he takes his seat, we're going to see next week, he's seated in the temple daily teaching. He's cleansed it, he's taken his rightful place, and now he is teaching. It's a great picture. And the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men, they want to destroy him, but they can't right now. They will. They will a few days later, but they can't right now. But here's here's the picture I want you to get, and we'll close with this. What Jesus does here physically is exactly what he does spiritually in our lives. We have this temple, 1 Corinthians 6, the temple of God, temple of the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus wants to do is he wants to come in, and this has been corrupted. He wants to cleanse it. He wants to get all, all the junk, and then he wants to be seated on the throne of it and then lead and teach exactly what he's doing in the temple here. Right? That's what he wants to do. And, and the third thing for us followers, those on the rise, those who are not rejecting, but those who are on the rise, is that Jesus wants to lead and teach you. He wants to lead and teach you. And, and if, you're, if your view now as him as you are a severe man and you, and you gather where you haven't reaped, if that is you, then you're not going to want him to lead you. Right? But, but that's not the view we have here. We, this is a king who lays his life down for you. This is a king who weeps for those who reject him. This is a king who loves his enemies. That's the kind of king I, wanna, I want to lead me. Now, is he a threat to my little kingdom? Oh, yeah, he is. Because my little kingdom says, I want to do this and this and this. And he might say, no, 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 this is where I want you. I, I don't want you to be a, a baseball coach. I want you to be a pastor. Well, thanks. <laughs> Send me to Dallas. I hate the Cowboys. <laughs> right? But, but see, my kingdom is a threat. But which, which are you going to choose? The one who promises life and life abundantly that says, I want to reward you. The one that says, I want to give you a life. Or are you going to follow the kingdom of a man? There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end therein is death. Which king are you going to choose? Because I'm a lousy king. I'm a lousy a lot of things. This is the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. They listen to me. I saw this great YouTube video the other day. Social media, right? I saw it, watched it. And it was, it was really cool. You can Google it later. It's pretty cool. I, I, it was somewhere in like Sweden or something because they're all speaking this language. I'm like, whatever, I'm, you know, and I'm like, okay. But so there's a sheep in the field 
And it's like a tourist thing. And, and so the, whoever the shepherd is, he goes and tells all these different people, hey, try to go call the sheep. And he tells them the words like, and whatever, Swedish, right? So they all go up and they kind of do it. And the sheep just like, they just keep eating, right? They're not even like looking. And like three different people go and they try to do this little call, right? And, and nothing happens. And then what happens is the shepherd gets up front and he does the same exact thing. And it was amazing, y'all. The sheep are like, head up. And they start booking for the shepherd. And they all, ah, rah, you know, and, they're, and, and they, it, is, it is true. I'm telling you, it's worth a two minute and eight second Google, all right? Because it's like these sheep, although 100 yards away, whatever, as soon as the voice of the shepherd was spoken, they responded and they came. They ignored everybody else. But when they heard their shepherd, they ran. And I'm telling you, that is what Jesus wants from us. He's speaking, he is leading, his scripture is alive, and the question is, are you listening? Because he wants to lead. And some of you, what is, and, and you gotta ask, what does he wanna do in your life? It, it'd be worthwhile for you this week to get, get yourself a good cup of coffee, not a, not a junky cup of coffee, a good cup of coffee. You shouldn't read your Bible with a lousy cup of coffee, it's sinful. And so get a good cup of coffee, get a, get a pad and paper, get alone, and say, what am I afraid of if I really let Jesus lead? What do I, what do I, what might I lose? But then read again, 10 cities. Say, well, is it really losing? And then just ask the spirit of God. He's in you. If you're a Christian, the spirit is in you. What, what are you leading me to do? What do you, what am I not doing, shepherd, that I am just ignoring you? What do you want me to do? Maybe write it down. Maybe start praying about it. Maybe start, for some of you, You've been, you've been hearing us talk about baptism for a long time, and you're still like, I'll do it later. There's a football game that Saturday. I don't really feel like getting baptized afterwards. You got an excuse, an excuse, an excuse, but you're not following, and it's time. It's time for you to make that public. Some of you, there's this addiction, there's this habit that you need to confess and be done with, right? And it, not, and it doesn't always have to be like, oh, this, you know, I'm a heroin, whatever. Maybe it's that big, or maybe it's food, that you're addicted to. And you need to get a hold of that because your temple is getting bigger. You got a mega church temple. <laughs> and it needs to be a mini church temple. <laughs> I just came up with that. <laughs> but it's true. Maybe some of you need to get some marriage counseling. And it's time. And you've been hiding it. And you just need help. And God's been leading you to it. Or he's been leading you to go to a community group and, and talk to this one couple that you feel like could really encourage you. I, there's so many things. I don't know. Maybe it's you need to forgive someone, probably a lot of us, and release bitterness and anger. Right? Maybe some of you teenagers need to, to, to tell your parents, you've been lying, you've been hiding, you've been doing stuff. It's just wrong. I, I don't know. But, but the spirit is always changing people. That's what he does. We are growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ until he comes. That's what he wants to do. And he's looking for just some sheep that will listen to his voice. That he's seated in his temple and he's just kind of directing and over here and over, okay, let's go right and let's go. That's what he does. And so that's what we want to be. We have a savior who changes us, who wants to one day reward us 
and he wants to lead us. Let's be that. All right, let's be that. Let me pray, and then we'll worship. Father, I pray for uh, just your church that you would... Um, just be alive in our, in our souls and our, and our desires and our passion would be to follow you. And, and that we always put things in the way. We always uh, try to get back on the throne of our lives, so to speak. That, but we would be a people who, who live for eternity, who invest in eternity, that see our lives changed for eternity. Uh, and for someone in this room that may not have yet even put their faith in you, that even now, that they would uh, not set alarms off, but that they would believe, um, that they would have their, the blinders off, and that their eyes would be open to your beauty. We pray these things in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Why don't you guys stand and we'll sing.